Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. This week, I decided to do something a little different. With over 100 episodes, it's easy for some of these stories to be missed or forgotten. But this week, I'm re-releasing three episodes of Missing Women whose stories still need our attention. All of these episodes originally aired in 2021, and so after almost two years, I wanted to make sure that these stories were heard again. So even if you've already heard these stories, please listen again, because these women are still missing. When I first began this podcast back in 2021, the one thing I didn't plan was that families or friends of victims or missing women would reach out to me and ask me to cover their story. But not long after I started Black Girl Gone, a friend of Jennifer Blackman's reached out to me to tell me about the missing mother from River Rogue. When she reached out to me, Jennifer had been missing for three months. It's now been over two years, and Jennifer is still missing. When I first began this podcast back in 2021, the one thing I didn't plan was that families or friends of victims or missing women would reach out to me and ask me to cover their story. But not long after I started Black Girl Gone, a friend of Jennifer Blackman's reached out to me to tell me about the missing mother from River Road, Michigan. When she reached out to me, Jennifer had been missing for three months. It's now been over two years, and Jennifer is still missing. And so the first episode I'm re-releasing this week is Jennifer Blackman's story, a story that has not gotten the attention that she and her family deserve. Sadly, there hasn't been any updates about Jennifer's case or any information released by the River Rogue PD. Jennifer is now 38. She has missed three birthdays with her family. Her oldest daughter graduated from high school. She's missed so much. I wish I had more information to update, but please listen to Jennifer's story and share the information of her disappearance. This is Jennifer's story. In December 2020, just three months ago, Jennifer Blackman was living in the Detroit suburb of River Road, where she was living with her four children. And in a year that brought so much change, Jennifer's life had also changed. Jennifer and her children had recently moved into an apartment after she went through a divorce. But Jennifer appeared to be moving on and looking forward to a new year and a fresh start. Jennifer also is a business owner, 
She actually owns and runs two businesses, one of which is a mobile notary company. And even though 2020 was such a transformative year for so many of us, Jennifer, according to those who loved her most, was happy and would never, no matter what, leave her children voluntarily. On December 22nd, 2020, three days before Christmas, Jennifer had been having some car trouble. And this, of course, for someone running a mobile notary would be a hiccup. But fortunately for Jennifer, her oldest daughter had a car that she could use. So according to reports, Jennifer called her father and she asked him if he could fix her vehicle. Now, I saw a news report that said Jennifer went to her dad's house to drop off the vehicle, but it's not clear if that's what happened or if she just called him to ask him to come and fix the car, which to me seems more likely. So Jennifer borrows her daughter's car so that she could get to her appointments because she had a few business-related things that she needed to handle. And it was just a few days before the holidays, and I'm sure she wanted to kind of finish any outstanding business so that she could spend time with her kids and relax for the holiday. So at around 7.55 p.m., according to Jennifer's family, she left her home in her daughter's car. And when Jennifer left that evening, everything seemed fine. Sometime later that evening, though, Jennifer's family receives a call from one of the people that Jennifer was supposed to be meeting for business. And they tell her family that Jennifer did not show up for their appointment. And this is automatically concerning for Jennifer's family because, you know, as a business owner, showing up for clients is important. And the fact that Jennifer had just missed her appointment without reaching out to her client was not a good sign. So Jennifer's family starts to immediately call Jennifer's phone, you know, to see where she is. But their calls are going unanswered. So they decide to start looking for Jennifer. Um, They start, you know, calling people around and looking in places where she normally is. And I think that the sense of urgency that, like, immediately followed shows just how out of the ordinary this was for Jennifer. You know, in a lot of these cases, people don't always assume something is wrong in the hours that immediately follow someone not being heard from. So for Jennifer's family to almost immediately go searching for her told me how much this was not a part of her normal, you know, everyday routine or normal behavior for Jennifer. So the family searches in the places that, you know, Jennifer is known to go, but they're finding nothing, no sign of Jennifer. After not hearing from Jennifer, the unanswered calls and the fact that no one has seen or heard from her since she left her home, her family goes to the River Rouge police to file a missing persons report. Now, typically, the cops make you wait a certain amount of time before they will take a missing persons report about an adult, you know, of course, because it's not always clear what happened and if that person left voluntarily. So they usually make you wait, you know, somewhere between 48 and 72 hours. But we're not clear if that's what happened in this case. But we do know that a missing person case was open for Jennifer. And police began investigating what happened to this mother. But shortly after Jennifer vanished, her daughter's car, the one Jennifer had been driving, was located. And the location where the car was found would send up red flags for those who were closest to Jennifer. So Jennifer's daughter's car that she had borrowed because hers had broken down 
was discovered on a street in River Road where Jennifer's ex-husband lived. Now, it had been the home where they had shared when they were married, and he had stayed in the home when her and the children moved out. And the car doesn't yield any answers as far as we know, but they do raise questions about how the car got on the block. Her family doesn't know any reason why she would have been on that street. And as far as they know, stopping on that block or possibly visiting her ex was not a part of her plans. So the car being on the block really doesn't make any sense, at least with the information that we have so far. And that little fact kind of reminds me of the Nikki McCown case from episode four. If you listen to the episode, you remember that when they found Nikki's car, it was in the parking lot of the apartment complex that her ex lived in. And of course, he wasn't considered a suspect, but that little similarity in the case kind of just stood out to me. So what about Jennifer's ex? Did he see her that day? Well, we actually really don't know. Um, While doing some research for this story, I did come across a Facebook post from a family member of Jennifer's. And her post indicates that perhaps he isn't being very helpful in the search for Jennifer. We, of course, can't verify if that's true or not. And it was just a Facebook post. Um, But we don't have any more information kind of about him or how much he's been helping the police or her family and trying to figure out what happened to Jennifer. But we know that the spouse, or in this case, ex-spouse, is usually the first person of interest the cops will look at. But the cops have not named him or anyone else a person of interest. But her family has a lot of questions. They know that Jennifer would not just leave. She has young children. Her oldest daughter was preparing to graduate, and it was three days before Christmas. So whatever happened to her, Jennifer's family is 100% sure that it wasn't on her own will. And their hope is that wherever she is, she's alive and just unable to come home. In an interview that her brother gives to a local Fox News station, uh, Fox 2 in Detroit, he reveals that her relationship with her ex, let's just say, had issues. And apparently the police were no strangers to the couple's home while they were married. Now, he did not go into a lot of detail about the incidents that led up to the police being called. And we're not sure if they were just arguments or if it was ever escalated to a physical situation. But he alleged that they had been called there before. In fact, he said that when Jennifer and her children moved out of the house, that the police had to be called that day as well. So needless to say, you know, divorce is really difficult and tensions are elevated, especially in the beginning or early months after a divorce. But based off what her brother tells the news, this divorce was probably not amicable at all. And like I said, this is an ongoing investigation. So there are so little answers coming from the police about what might have happened to Jennifer. And like, I get it, you know, it's an ongoing investigation. But then on the other side, I kind of don't because we all know that when the victim is not a Black woman, the police seem to not hesitate in releasing as much information as possible. But time and time again, the public is left with little information that could help in finding a Black victim. I mean, just think about it, right? Like, think of all the headline-grabbing stories and how much information the cops will reveal about their, their last movements of, uh, you know, of these victims in press conferences that they hold 
And they will even, you know, name people of interest really early on. But that doesn't really seem to happen the same when the victims are Black, and particularly Black women. You know, of course, every police department is different and they all have different rules, but that just kind of seems to be like a universal thing that happens in these kinds of cases. In that same interview, however, it's revealed that her family has hired a private investigator, which to me indicates that the police are not really giving the the family the answers that they need, because why else would they feel the need to hire an outside investigator? I mean, it's one thing for the police not to tell the public to not jeopardize the investigation, but for her family to be left without answers and feeling the need to hire a private investigator, like I said, just shows me that whatever the police is telling them is not enough. And so they have decided to go and, you know, get information and answers on their own. But, you know, what the investigator finds out about Jennifer's whereabouts or last known whereabouts sends up huge red flags. Jennifer's phone was with her when she went missing. And the private investigator discovered that Jennifer's phone location shows that she was last at the home where her ex-husband lived. So according to the private investigator, Jennifer's last known whereabouts are not only on Fraser Street and River Rogue, but actually inside the home of her ex-husband and that he was the last phone conversation that she had. Now, the police will not confirm or deny any of this information. And when the local news station recently reached out to the lead detectives on the case, He would only say that this case is an open investigation, but declined to comment any further. And with police tight-lipped and no one willing to come forward, we don't really have any more information about Jennifer's disappearance. But that's why it's so important for me to tell this story. Jennifer's story is not getting the attention that it deserves. Jennifer missed Christmas. She missed her own birthday and her oldest daughter graduated. She wouldn't just be gone from them without a reason or an explanation. Her family really needs to know what happened to her. They need answers about where she is. Her children are asking for their mom. Someone knows something. Someone saw something. So for my listeners, again, just like I asked in episode four, I am again asking you to share this story. Jennifer's missing person flyer is posted on our Facebook page. Share it. Her family is desperate, and we can help shed a light on this case. Jennifer's story deserves to be told to as many people that will listen. Jennifer Blackman was last seen December 22, 2020, in River Rogue, Michigan. She is 5 foot 5 inches tall and weighs 130 pounds. She has hazel eyes and black hair. If you have any information about her whereabouts, please contact the River Rogue Police Department. The disappearance of Darian Hudson is another story that, although there have been no new updates, I wanted to bring back up to the surface. It's now been over five years since Darian vanished from Stillwater, Oklahoma, and there has still been very little information about her case. For her family... There are still so many unanswered questions, but their search for Darian has not stopped. Like so many of the stories I tell, this story deserves so much more attention. And so Darian's story is the second episode I'm re-releasing this week. 
After five years, it's not clear if police are even still investigating Darian's disappearance, but I am hoping that we can keep Darian's story out there and bring some more attention to her disappearance. This is Darian's story. When I first came across the story of Darian Hudson, where she disappeared from immediately caught my attention. In my research so far, I haven't found a lot of cases from Oklahoma, so that really stood out. And as I started to dive deeper into Darian's story, I found out that she was actually originally from Kansas. So here's a little fun fact about me. Those who listen to the show know that I'm from Philadelphia. However, I'm not originally from Philadelphia, which is something that my husband, who is originally from Philadelphia, is always reminding me of. But I was actually born in Kansas, Topeka to be exact, and I spent the first two years of my life in Kansas. My mom is originally from Philadelphia, but a large portion of my family lives in the Midwest. I used to spend my summers in Oklahoma City with my aunts and my cousins, so the Midwest will always have a special place in my heart. We always hear about bad things happening in big cities, but a lot of these stories I tell don't just happen in big cities. They happen in small towns, too. Darian Hudson is one of thousands of women of color that are missing in America, many whose stories have never been told. Darian Hudson was 23 when she vanished. She was just starting her life. Darian was born in Hutchinson, Kansas on January 1st, 1994. And Hutchinson is a small city. It's about an hour north of Wichita. Darian grew up with her mom, Stephanie, and her younger siblings. And Darian, despite being the oldest, was very close to her siblings. Her family and friends described her as a bubbly person who always had a smile, and she had a personality that would just light up a room. Stephanie told Dateline in an interview that they did about Darian's disappearance in January of this year that, quote, if you were having a bad day, Darian would change that. Darian was an athlete, too. After graduating from Hutchinson High School in 2012, Darian went to Barton Community College in Kansas, where she played softball. And community colleges, they're usually a two-year program, so I assume that Darian finished her two years at Barton Community College, and then she enrolled in Langston University, which is located in Oklahoma. And so Darian moved to Oklahoma and played softball at Langston University. And according to people close to her, she was doing well during this time. She had made new friends on her softball team, and she was working and enjoying her life. But we all know with life comes highs and comes lows. And eventually, Darian met a guy, and there isn't much information about him, but her friends told Dateline that after Darian started dating this guy, her behavior changed. Now, Darian was not the only young woman guilty of ghosting her friends when she got in a relationship, but this relationship seemed to be kind of toxic. Not only had Darian stopped hanging out with her college friends and started hanging out with a new crowd of people she met at work, she also stopped playing softball. The relationship itself seemed to take a toll on Darian's happy personality, and it only got worse when she became pregnant and then suffered a miscarriage. And the year before Darian disappeared, she was experiencing some of those lows that life throws at us. Her relationship with her boyfriend ended, and Darian's dog, who she adored, died. People close to Darian said that the experiences that she had that year before she vanished had really been a struggle for Darian. But even though life had knocked Darian down and knocked her off her feet, 
it was only for a moment. And by 2017, she was really trying to bounce back and she was getting back to the Darien that everybody knew and everybody loved. Darian had been a server at the local Chili's in Stillwater, and she had an apartment there, but she was really just needing a change. On Saturday, October 21st, 2017, Darian called her mom, Stephanie, to tell her that she had enrolled in nursing school and that she had decided that she wanted to come back to live at home so that she could save money and that she could be closer to her family again. Her mom said that, you know, the family had made plans to pick up Darian that following weekend. But Darian's mom had no idea that she was actually not going to pick up Darian that weekend. Because a few days after that call, Darian vanished. Now, I will be honest with you. Some of the dates in the story are different depending on which news outlet you're looking at. So, you know, I've tried to get the timeline as accurate as possible. So the week of October 22nd, 2017, Darian was scheduled to work her shift at Chili's, but she failed to show up. Now, the information about what day she was supposed to be at work is unclear. Now, some reports state that she was scheduled to be at work on the 22nd and that she disappeared after that. But there's other information that kind of calls that timeline into question. However, we do know that it must have happened between the 22nd, which was a Sunday, and the 25th, which was a Wednesday. So during those three days, friends of Darian's that she worked with, you know, attempted to call her, but they were getting no response. Now, it's not clear whether or not her friends attempted to go to her apartment to see if she was there or not. But after a few days went by and no one had seen or talked to Darian, her friends decided that they needed to call Darian's mom to tell her what was going on. So Stephanie said on October 25th, her phone started blowing up with calls and text messages from Darian's friends telling her that they couldn't find Darian and that no one had spoken to her or seen her in days. Now, the last time Stephanie had spoke to Darian was that Saturday before. And so worried, Stephanie and her family said that the next day they drove to Stillwater and went straight to the police department to report Darian missing. They clearly knew that something had happened to Darian because they didn't go to her apartment first. I mean, they went straight to the police. Now, when Stephanie speaks with the police, they tell her that she has to wait 48 hours before they can, you know, file a missing persons report. But why? I mean, technically, it really has been more than 48 hours since someone had last seen or spoken to Darian as far as the police knew. Her mother had not spoken to her since the 21st, and there's no other indication that anyone had spoken to her in the previous 48 hours. The last activity on her Twitter account, which she appeared to use daily, was on the 24th. So why the police were not willing to take the case on that day, it it means that by the time that Stephanie was able to make the report 48 hours later, that it had been a week since she had last spoken to her daughter and four days since the usually very active Twitter account had a post. I mean, this is really why there should not be, you know, a 48-hour waiting period before you can report someone missing. I mean, that's really a ridiculous amount of time because when someone goes missing or they disappear, every single second counts. 48 hours loses a lot of time. But Stephanie and Darian's family 
had no other choice. I mean, all they could do is wait out the 48 hours. Her family decided to start searching in and around the area where Darian's apartment was while they waited to file the report. They also went to her apartment. And when they got there, their concerns about what happened to Darian deepened. Now, the door to Darian's apartment was open. Now, I don't know if it was open like a jar or whether it was unlocked. I mean, I believe that they meant it was open, open, because I feel like they would have specified if it was just unlocked. But I mean, I really could be wrong because I feel like somebody would have saw the door open if it had been, you know, open for, you know, a couple of days or even several hours. But I, I really don't know. However, it was just described as being, quote unquote, open. So once her family entered the apartment, everything actually seemed very, very normal. There was the light that was still on. There were dishes in the sink. But despite the eerie calm of the apartment, there was clearly something wrong. And worse, her family found her cell phone in the apartment too. But there was no sign of forced entry, no sign of a struggle. It just looked like no one was home. So... The 48 hours passed, and with no sign of Darian, her family was able to file a missing persons report. Police started their investigation by interviewing Darian's friends and neighbors, but no one had seen or heard anything that would help lead police to Darian's whereabouts. There was no sign of Darian. She didn't have her phone. There was no activity on her bank account. She was just gone. Now, Darian didn't drive. So police checked buses, they checked trains in the area, but Darian had not boarded any buses or any trains. Now, it wasn't until December 2017, over a month after Darian disappeared, that police got their first lead. In December 2017, police got a notification that someone had attempted to use Darian's debit card at a hotel in Oklahoma City. Now, police were able to locate the man, and when they interviewed him, he told police that he had the card and he had found it in a purse back in October. He said that he'd been working on a construction site in Stillwater where he found the bag hanging from a concrete pipe. Now, for whatever reason, this stand-up citizen decided to take the bag and its contents instead of handing it over to the police. Now, I mean, imagine if he had found the purse and handed it over to the police back in October when Darian first disappeared. I mean, there could have been evidence, maybe even DNA or fingerprints that might have been helpful. So when police get this story, they, of course, need to verify what the man is telling them. And they go to the construction site where he said that he was working. Now, the construction site was a church that was still under construction at that time. And the man who stole the card said that, you know, he had been working there. And so they spoke to, you know, people at the site and they were able to confirm that he was working there. But they also spoke to other workers that were at the site in October. And they give police additional information. Now, several of the workers said that they remember seeing a woman who fit Darian's description on October 26, 2017, the day that... Darian's family had arrived in Stillwater to report her missing. Now, the workers told police that they saw the woman sitting in a wooded area behind the construction site. 
They said that when they approached her, that she would not speak to them and that she just stared off into space with like a blank look on her face. Now, the worker said that the woman's behavior was concerning, so they told their boss, who also went to check on the woman. But again, she refused to say anything. And now, even though all of these people seem to be concerned about this young woman who may have been in distress, no one called 911 and no one told anyone else about this woman. So police feel like the sightings of Darian on the 26th are credible. And so they started searching the area around the church to see if they could find any other witnesses that may have seen Darian. They eventually find two more witnesses that say they saw a woman fitting Darian's description on October 26th. One of the witnesses say that he saw a woman that evening sitting on some of the construction equipment. Now, the witness told police that she appeared to be possibly waiting for someone to pick her up. The second witness lived next door to the church where the construction was taking place. And he told police that he saw a woman fitting Darian's description talking to his grandchildren who had just come from home come off the bus home from school. But he said by the time that he came out to get them, the woman was gone. Now, police believe that the witnesses had seen Darian that day. So if the police had taken the report on the 26th, they may have had a better chance to find evidence about where Darian had gone. I mean, they may have found the construction worker sooner. They may have spoken to the witnesses who saw her sooner. And there may have even been surveillance footage from nearby homes or businesses that, you know, could have given them a lead. But by the time they received all of this information, it had been over a month. And so much had been lost. So police did search the wooded area near where Darian was allegedly last seen. They used drones and cadaver dogs, but they couldn't find Darian. Now, during the search, they were able to find Darian's hoodie, and inside of her hoodie was her wallet that had her ID, some cash, and her credit cards. But there was no other evidence in the woods. Now, here is where I have questions. Like, first, why would Darian leave her phone but take her purse when she left home? Why did she take her purse and then leave it at a construction site? I mean, and if you consider the theory that she, you know, willingly left, why did she take her purse and then, you know, leave it at a construction site? I was also very confused by the fact that her wallet was found in her hoodie with her cash and her credit cards, but the construction worker had found her debit card in her purse. I mean, it's just a strange coincidence that her debit card was separated from her wallet and then stolen by the construction worker. Now, I assume the construction worker story, you know, was vetted by the police, but why would you keep a debit card that you stole for over a month and then try to use it? I mean, if the account was active and it had money in it, wouldn't you have assumed that the person who owned the account would have shut down that card by now and realized that it was stolen? I mean, wouldn't you just assume that the card didn't work anymore? It's just, that's just very strange. He also said that he stole the whole purse. So where was the rest of the purse? It's just very, very weird. 
But early on, Darian's family and friends had wondered, you know, if it had been possible that she left on her own, you know, perhaps she had, you know, just finally broken under the weight of the past year. But they realized that that actually didn't make any sense. Darian would not just leave. She was looking forward. She was making plans. And she had no history of mental illness. And with no car and no money, how far could she have gone on foot? The possibility of someone committing suicide is always real. Just because someone appears happy and hopeful doesn't mean that they actually are. But people don't kill themselves and hide their own bodies. So where is Darian? Darian's family and friends refused to give up their search for Darian. They believe that foul play is involved in her disappearance. And they have done everything they can to keep Darian's story alive. But her case has gone cold. Police say that her case is still open and active, but there have been no new credible leads. There's so many missing pieces to this story. There's so much that has been lost forever. It's been almost four years since Darian Hudson disappeared from Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I wish there was more that I could tell you about this case, but we don't have any other information. Darian's family, however, will not give up searching for her. And they want her story to be told. They don't want her to be forgotten. The problem is, not enough people have heard her story. So please, Share Darian's story. Remember her name. She may still be out there somewhere alive and just unable to come home. Her family needs closure, and they need answers. Darian Hudson was 23 at the time she went missing. She would be 26 now. She's five foot three inches tall, and she has a feather tattoo on her back. She was last seen in the city of Stillwater, Oklahoma. If you have any information about what happened to Darian or where she may be, please contact the Stillwater Police Department. Since the disappearance of Allie Gilmore was originally released in August 2021, there have been some new developments in her case. But sadly, police still have not made an arrest and Allie has not been found. In October 2021, police named a person of interest in this case. When I first told this story, there was some information that I didn't include because I didn't learn until later on. But the person of interest who was named in October 2021 was Dwight Aldridge, the man Allie had been seeing when she and her husband had separated. Investigators revealed that at 10.48 a.m. on the day that Allie vanished, she received a call from Dwight. And when he was questioned by police about the call, he admitted to speaking to Ali, but he said that he was out of town at the time. However, police learned through cell phone records that Dwight was actually in Ali's neighborhood. Ali, who was pregnant at the time, was reconciling with her husband, but apparently wasn't sure who the father was. And her sister provided emails to a local paper that indicated that Dwight had gone with Ali to a doctor's appointment, but that there was tension in the relationship. I'm resharing Allie's story because although there has been a person of interest named, 
justice has not been served, and police have not had enough evidence to arrest Dwight Aldridge, and Allie has not been found. This is Allie's story. I'm still always so surprised by the number of stories I find weekly of missing Black women I've never heard of. I mean, I shouldn't after doing this for a few months now, but I'm really still shocked. Now, the story of Allie Gilmore is a story that actually received a lot of attention in the Tallahassee area, but people often conflate local media coverage with national coverage, and it's not the same. But if you're from the area and old enough, you may remember when Allie went missing in 2006. Allie was born on January 5th, 1976, and Allie's mom had some issues, so for the first 11 years of her life, she was raised by her mother's niece. According to reports, Allie grew up not knowing who her biological father was, and by the time she learned his identity, he had already died. When Allie was 11, her mother had found some stability, and so Allie went back to live with her mom, Larvetta. Allie's mom said that she was a strict parent who really just wanted the best for her children. Larvetta worked two and three jobs while Allie went to school. Those close to Allie described her as a caring, friendly kid, but she was also tough and showed from an early age that she could take care of herself. In high school, Allie ran track, and because her high school was 45 minutes from her home, the practices would often have Allie coming home after 7 p.m., but Allie was a dedicated student and an athlete, and so she did what she had to do. During Allie's senior year of high school, she got a job working at Publix, and she really liked the idea of earning her own money, and she would give her mom money to help with the gas bill. But Allie had dreams, and after high school, she wanted to go to Florida A&M University. And so in 1993, Allie moved to Tallahassee to attend FAMU. And she was first going to major in pharmacy, but instead did show, she chose to major in health information management. When Allie graduated, she decided to stay in Tallahassee, and she got a job with the Florida Department of Health, and she also kept working part-time at the Publix. A year after Allie graduated from FAMU, she met a man named James Gilmore. And according to James, he and Allie really just hit it off right away. And after eight months of dating, James asked her to marry him. He proposed at the same mall that they had met at a few months earlier. And James had been married before and had three children from that relationship, but he said Allie brought out the best in him, and Allie embraced James' children as if they were her own. The couple got married on October 7th, 2000, and not long after purchased their first home. Everything was going really well for the couple, and in 2005, Allie became pregnant. They were both very excited about having a child of their own, but sadly, Allie miscarried the pregnancy. As expected, she was devastated by the loss, but the couple decided that they were going to try again. But their relationship had started to have issues. Allie was upset about finances, and the couple had been spending less and less time together. Eventually, the communication broke down, and Allie and James decided to separate. James moved out, but just a few days after moving out, Allie found out that she was pregnant again. After losing the first baby, Allie was extra careful with this pregnancy. She really wanted to make sure she didn't do anything to put her or the baby in danger. Now, although Allie was pregnant, she was kind of attempting to move on from James. She had started dating a man that she had known from her days at FAMU, but he was really just someone to pass the time because Allie really wanted to fix her relationship with James. She really loved him, and he was the father of her unborn child, and therefore she really wanted to make their marriage work. 
And James also wanted to fix his marriage with Allie. And so Allie and James decided to go to counseling. They both really wanted to make, you know, the marriage work, especially since they had a child on the way. So by 2006, a pregnant Allie was in the process of fixing her marriage. She and James had decided to go to counseling, and so things were looking up. In the weeks before she vanished, co-workers at both Allie's jobs said that she was happy and upbeat. On February 2nd, 2006, however, Allie's mood was different. According to reports, co-workers at both the Department of Health and Allie's second job at Publix said that she was upset about the fact that she had just found out that the property taxes on her house were going up. Apparently, the news was so upsetting to Allie that she was, like, crying and her co-workers had to calm her down. So, on that day, Allie finished her day at the Department of Health, where she usually worked from 8 to 5. And then she went to her second job at Publix, where she would typically work from 6 to 11 p.m. when they closed. Now, like I said, Allie had been upset that day. Finding out about the taxes owed on her house had really upset her. And her coworkers at Publix said that she was still upset when she showed up for her shift that evening. James said that he spoke to Allie around 8.45 p.m. that night. And she called him to remind him of their counseling appointment. They were scheduled to go to their second session. But James said that Allie told him that she was, you know, upset about the taxes on the house also. So... Allie worked until closing that night, which was 11 p.m., and then she got in her car and drove home. But when Allie left that evening, it would be the last time that anyone would see Allie Gilmore again. The next day, February 3rd, 2006, Allie and James were supposed to go to their counseling session, but neither of them showed up. Allie's coworkers, who were also friends of hers, knew about her counseling session. And so when she didn't show up that morning, they were not immediately concerned. They figured that she would be in later that day. Now, Allie's immediate supervisor was also out sick that day. And this was a Friday. So even though it was not like Allie to miss work, her coworkers probably thought that she just decided to take a long weekend. Now, James said that he had missed the appointment because he overslept. He knew Allie was probably going to be mad at him for missing the appointment. And so he tried to call her at work, but he didn't get an answer. And so he left a message apologizing for missing the session. The next day, which was Saturday the 4th, James said that Allie still wasn't answering his calls. So he decided to drive over to her house. And when he got there, he saw her car parked in the driveway. He also noticed that her bedroom light was on. Now, James knocked on the door, but there was no answer. According to reports, James said that he thought that, you know, Allie was just really mad at him. And so he decided to leave and figured that she would call him whenever, you know, she kind of got over it. Now, no one spoke to Allie that weekend. But when Monday came and she didn't show up for work, her coworkers knew something was wrong. Allie never missed work, and so for her to miss two days in a row without calling was very unlike her. Her coworkers decided to go over to Allie's home to check on her, but when they knocked on the door, they said no one came to the door. Allie's car, however, was still in the driveway. They also noticed, like James did, that her bedroom light was on. Now, after finding her car in the driveway and no sign of Allie anywhere, her co-workers called the police and reported Allie missing. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, 
pre-measured ingredients, and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh's family-friendly menu is a big win for back-to-school season, with easy, delicious recipes for drama-free dinners. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, from vegetarian meals and calorie-smart options to extra-special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy. With recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. My favorite thing about HelloFresh is the variety of options, from full meals to sides, and the food is delicious. I especially love them for date nights at home with my husband. We can get restaurant-quality food right from our own kitchen. The fall harvest is officially on with HelloFresh. Count on seasonal recipes like pumpkin cinnamon rolls and Friendsgiving-ready sides, as well as fresh, high-quality ingredients that travel from the farm to your front door in less than a week. Go to HelloFresh.com slash GirlGone14 and use code GirlGone14 for up to 14 free meals, including shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash GirlGone14 and use code GirlGone14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. The best way to think about therapy is through a bunch of analogies. We get our cars tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road. You saw this one coming. We get annual checkups and go to the gym to maintain physical wellness and prevent injury and disease. We do chores regularly, well, some of us, to avoid a giant mess of a house and bugs. Going to therapy is like all of the above. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. Going to therapy doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Black Girl Gone listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash GirlGone. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash GirlGone. When police arrived at Allie's home to investigate, there were no signs that anything was wrong. The home was locked, but one of the windows in the spare bedroom was open. Now, when police entered the home, Allie, of course, was not inside. But they do find her work uniform, which indicated to them that she had made it home the night that she had left Publix that Thursday. They also searched Allie's car that was in the driveway. And inside, they find her purse and her work keys. But her house keys and the car keys were gone. With no indication of a struggle, police initially thought that Allie probably left on her own. Now, I know a majority of missing person reports result in people being found, but police are more likely to draw this conclusion when the person missing is black or brown. Now, pregnant women don't just tend to leave and disappear, especially women who are excited and looking forward to their baby being born. Now, I could be wrong, but it seems to me that by assuming that someone left on their own, it would cause the police to miss out on potential evidence if they aren't really looking for the person missing. But Allie's family and friends knew that she had not left on her own. 
Allie had no reason to just leave. Uh, Police began to canvas the area where Allie lived. They spoke to neighbors, but no one in the neighborhood saw anything strange. They also searched Allie's car for any blood or DNA, but they found nothing. Police brought in bloodhounds, and they searched the wooded areas that were around where Allie lived, but still, they found nothing. Now, although police had begun searching for Ali, the complete lack of any evidence made them believe that perhaps their initial thoughts about Ali leaving on her own were right. But the people who knew Ali best knew that something bad had happened. Her family and friends began organizing their own search parties. They created flyers, t-shirts, lawn signs. They even put up billboards. They did anything and everything they could to bring awareness to Allie's case and hopefully draw out someone who had answers. But days turned into weeks, and there was literally no sign of Allie. With Allie's family driving Allie's story into the headlines, investigators started to look into possibilities of who could be involved in Allie missing. And the most obvious suspect was James, her estranged husband. Now, investigators began looking into James. I mean, they were separated, and he did not show up for the counseling session that day. And, you know, that was really strange. But James insisted that he had just overslept and that he was actually at his brother's house. Now, James acknowledged that the couple was having issues, but he insisted that they were working on the relationship and he had no reason to hurt Allie. The fact that he had missed the appointment was really just a coincidence. According to reports, police said that James was cooperative and he even took a voice stress test, which is like a lie detector test, and he passed. Investigators had nothing to indicate that James had anything to do with Allie's disappearance, and it didn't seem like he had any motive to want to hurt her. But Allie's family was frustrated. I mean, how could someone just vanish without a trace? They firmly believed that Allie did not leave on her own, and that despite her being upset that Thursday about the taxes on her house, that that would have not been enough to just make her abandon her entire life. But investigators had nothing. The searches for Allie had turned up nothing. There was no evidence that anyone had kidnapped her, and there was no evidence that she had met with foul play. I mean, the lack of evidence in this case is really disturbing. Months went by, and there were no new leads, no tips, no potential sightings of Allie. In July 2006, the month that Allie was due to give birth to the baby that she was so excited about, a tree was planted by the police in her memory on the street where she lived. And as much as her family wanted to hold out hope that Allie would just come back, time was making that difficult. Months turned into years, and it became harder and harder to keep Allie's story in the headlines. The mainstream media never picked up Allie's story. And now 15 years later, Allie Gilmore is still missing. After countless hours of searching, investigators have come to the conclusion that foul play may have been involved in Allie's disappearance, but they have never said publicly what has led them to that conclusion. Her case is still open, according to police, but there's been no movement on the case. Allie Gilmore never made national news. 
The pregnant Black woman from Tallahassee never grabbed the attention of the mainstream media, despite the fact that locally it had been a big story. I mean, they had billboards up. But we can't ignore the fact that there is no evidence about what happened to Allie. It's so weird because in most missing person cases, there is something, even if it's small. And in Allie's case, there was nothing. Except someone knows something. From everything I could gather, James doesn't seem to have had anything to do with what happened to Allie. And so that begs the question, what in the world happened to Allie? She was repairing her marriage. She was excited about her pregnancy. I mean, yes, she was recently stressed out about those taxes, but like her friends and family said, that doesn't seem like enough for her to just abandon her entire life and then, what, start a new one somewhere else? Wouldn't she have taken her car? And what about her bank accounts? I mean, wouldn't she have taken money if she was planning to run away? And so that's why we know that whatever happened to Allie didn't happen voluntarily. But with the absence of any evidence, the only thing that could solve this mystery is if someone comes forward and says something. 15 years is a long time. The child that Allie was carrying would have been 14 years old. Two lives are just completely gone. Now, it's my mission to tell as many of these stories as I possibly can. We listen to true crime for various reasons. But fundamentally, we should always remember the victims at the core of these stories. And so if there's anything that we can do as listeners to amplify these stories before we lose 15 years, we should do that. Allie's story has faded from the headlines. Most people who knew her story have forgotten. But Allie could still be out there somewhere. And no matter what, and no matter what happened to her, her family and friends deserve answers. So if you have any information about Allie Gilmore's whereabouts or the circumstances of her disappearance, you can contact the Tallahassee Police Department. Please share Allie's story. Whoever knows what happened to her needs to know that people have not forgotten about Allie Gilmore. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.